This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. From memory. Okay. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic. No, wait, do I say. Do I say presented by ObsessiveViewer.com? Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Or do I just say that for Tower Junkies? This is terrible. I don't remember. This is horrible. <laughs> um, uh, hello and welcome to. The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I think I do say that. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. That doesn't sound right. Hang on. Yeah. I have it right here. Oh, okay. No? Okay, yeah, I don't say it. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, this is going on the gag reel. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. Uh, seriously, I do not feel well. <laughs> you can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, more of our podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And with me today, as per usual, is tiny yellow hi tiny how's hey, it going it's going good it's going good 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 yeah um yeah uh the pizza i had wasn't good that sucks um, man yeah just ooh. yeah mm, yeah i don't like barbecue pizza i'm not a fan of it myself yeah with pulled pork on it it's not good um yeah <laughs> like I'm, I'm like this isn't an affectation like i actually feel nauseous so this is gonna be a fun episode oh boy but, um, yeah, but today on the podcast, we are going to be reviewing the new film, Ad Astra, that is currently in theaters, uh, starring Brad Pitt, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but, uh, Tiny, yep. I don't have, I have a couple pieces of news okay. um, that I didn't put the, I didn't bring up the articles for, so I'm gonna, just going to kind of freeball it here. Okay. Um, so, a couple things happened. Um, today, it was announced, I guess, that um, Joker... Okay, so as of this recording, Joker is going to be released in like a week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, what's your expectations for it? I think we may have talked about it at some point, but how do you feel about Joker? Uh, you know, I haven't thought about it a lot. I mean, I want to go see it, and like, I think it's one of those things where... It could be really good, or it could mm-hmm. be over the top, or like I'll really like the performance, but like the rest of the movie is going to be <clears throat> so-so, or the other way around. Like I just, I really don't know what to think. I, I'm not really putting many expectations on it. At sure, all. Um, you know, I'm kind of the same way. Um, I because it, it's the, it's kind of like Solo, Star Wars story. Like in my mm-hmm. opinion, it's like, like I mean, like in terms of. Like, uh, it feels like it's a movie that no one really asked for. Yeah. So that, that's what I mean by that. Um, and I don't know, just seeing the trailer, 
the more I see it, the more intrigued I am by it. Because Me I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is amazing. He's great. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure he's going to give a really good performance. But again, I just it's 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 an interesting kind of situation because it's like I don't know what this movie is. Yeah, so right. And maybe that's the best way to go into it and everything. So yeah. uh, we'll I'm, I kind of hope I want to be like surprised. I really want to be surprised by it and be like, man, I actually really liked that. I mm-hmm. I kind of hope it's that situation. Yeah. And I can see that happening. So. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, apparently got a standing ovation at Venice. Like eight minutes like standing eight minutes, ovation yeah. or whatever. Yeah, so that's... Um, yeah. But this is a terrible transition, but do you know where it's not going to get a standing ovation? Where's that? Aurora, Colorado. The And that's not a joke. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> making a tasteless Dark Knight Rises shooting joke. <laughs> okay. Um, because the theater where the Dark Knight Rises shooting occurred yeah. in 2012 is not going to be showing that movie. It's huh. not going to be showing Joker. Dang. Um, yeah. Can't blame them. <clears throat> hmm? Can't blame them. No, me neither. And yeah. apparently it was from, it was at, I think, the request or it was in response to five people that were related or or connected to like the victims of of the shooting in 2012 uh they i think they appealed to warner brothers and they were like hey you need to work on you know lobbying for gun control or some something i don't know mm. gun reform and um i think this the movie theater uh decided that they weren't going to have it there um and i didn't read Many responses. Um, oh, oh boy! Just because it's the internet, but like, like there were people saying like, "Oh, so you uh, like people saying like, well, good for them or whatever," or like you can't blame them. Like, like you said, mm-hmm. like people saying like, "Oh, so you think that uh, we should be allowed to just censor movies?" It's like it's not, not what they're doing. The same thing at all. Yeah. No, it's a thing of respect and everything. Yeah. Um, Isn't Aurora like a suburb of Denver? Kind <clears throat> of. I think so. Maybe. Or Colorado Springs. It's a suburb of a major city. Yeah. My point is... Like, it's not the only theater. Right. There's probably 10 other theaters they could go to. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Warner Brothers said, like, this movie isn't meant to make this character a hero or anything like that. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Let's let's settle down on the pre-release damage control. Right. Um, But, yeah, and then, like... um, just I don't know, like the lack of just compassion in online discourse is just ridiculous. It's disheartening. Yeah, like people like responding to that with just like the laughing emo- emoji. It's like okay, well you know, tons of like I read the article and like one of the like one of the um, victims that that were that were uh, uh, mentioned in it that that were appealing to is like like it went through and said like th- this person who lost a sister. In, in it, and then this one who lost a cousin or something, and then this one who lost a, her unborn child and her six-year-old daughter or something mm. like that. And it's like, that you can't, I, I, yeah, just like, I don't know how anyone can be flippant about something right. that tragic and terrible. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Exactly. Yeah. And that goes for iTunes reviews, too. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just so weird. And then I was going to make this stupid joke that's out of our wheelhouse, my wheelhouse really on the podcast, but, um, but I get the criticism against pulling it from the theater because it like that happened in 2012. It's now 2019. There's been tons of legislation, 
uh, past that's <laughs> controlling guns and everything. Like it, like it's a safer world we live in now. So hmm. you know, um, totally. Yeah. <sighs> yep. Anyway, um, that's yeah. <laughs> and then that uh, briefly because we don't need to talk much about this. But do, do you have any comments on that? By the way. Oh uh, no! Like I said, I, I I support that. Yeah, yeah. It's a little awkward. To yeah, have that movie playing there. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, I remember seeing The Dark Knight Rises with you and Fekus. Fekus yeah. and Ray was there. Also, Jameson. Yeah. Yeah. Who I haven't talked to in many years. Yeah, I saw him like a year ago at Target in Avon. Oh, random. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um. He recognized me. I did not recognize him. <laughs> I felt really awkward. Oh boy. Um. But yeah, he was like, "Oh yeah, hey, Dark Knight," and I'm like, "Yeah." Oh my god. Six years ago. That's funny. Yeah, but you know, he seems to be doing well. But cool. at least as of last year. But anyway, um, yeah, I remember that. Like, I remember. I think someone in the group, or maybe you, like looked at your phone or something and said, "Like, oh, it's there was a shooting." at it and then like and yeah. then movie started <laughs> oh my gosh and yeah. then we watched the movie and then i went home and i was like oh that was like like hearing about what all happened it's like holy holy fuck yeah um like i remember the next day like watching like msnbc or something like the because like they went to his apartment and they thought that it was booby trapped and stuff and they had like yeah, a live feed that's right yeah <clears throat> Jeez. Yeah, there's a book on Audible that I need to grab and, and listen to, but it's called A Dark Night in Aurora, I think. Mm. Um, it's like inside the mind of whatever the fuck his name was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious about that. Mm. But um, to transition to another topic that's uh, not lighthearted either... Uh, have you been kept? Have you have you been aware of the Shane Gillis? I think his name is controversy and SNL. Uh, I saw a headline. Okay, about it. that's really it. I've I've been having such a weird like Schadenfreude kind of like uh, kind of reaction to it. So basically, SNL announced they had hired three new cast members for SNL mm-hmm. for the new season. And one was the first, the first like cast member of Asian American descent. And then someone else. And then this comedian named Shane Gillis, I think. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it was funny. Cause I think, I think I saw like Paul F. Tompkins tweet this, like as soon as they posted that, like that, that news hit the internet, I remember, I need to dig up the tweet, but he had retweeted it and said like, oh, these guys, these guys, uh, Twitter accounts are about to be wiped clean. (laughs) (laughs) And then within 15, not joking, within 15 to 20 minutes of seeing that, there was already controversy around the Shane Gillis guy. Oh my God. (laughs) So he, and (laughs) so, I mean, I'm not going to, um, sugarcoated he seems like just a shitty person really? and a shithead but like he has a podcast where it's uh it's a matt and shane's secret podcast or something okay and it's uh i mean it's it's really like it's it's the best kind of podcast in my opinion just two guys talking about nothing oh yeah uh two white guys just talking about nothing and <laughs> just bullshitting yeah um check out patreon.com <laughs> 
But, um, so, like, there was a clip, a two-minute and 20-second clip of them talking about Chinatown and how, uh, I guess they were making jokes about it, but it was, like, the kind of joke where it's, like, not funny at all. Okay. <laughs> like, it wasn't satirical. Like, I had a conversation with Fekus about this. Um, he was like, well, like, Family Guy and South Park, they get away with, like, like, really like blue humor and like very uh very uh wow what's the word i'm looking for racist (laughs) um yeah and uh like bigoted kind of humor but they get away with it and everything it's like yeah but that's like it's satire it's like it's parody like having like there's a scene there's a scene from an earlier episode of family guy where they talk about like oh um uh that says that's as useless as Mel Gibson's apology. And it's like Mel Gibson, uh, in front of like a podium at a press conference saying like, I'm really sorry, uh, about your big noses, or I'm really sorry to all the, all the Jewish people out there for your big noses and how you're cheap and like just stereotypes and stuff. And it's like in that context, it's, it's funny. I find it, I find it humorous and everything. I'm not going to hide that. Um, but this guy, <laughs> the clip, he, like, they're, they're, ta- it's so sporadic and just stream of consciousness, but he's like, they're talking about how just, how it's fucking weird how there's, uh, so many, like, like, Chinatown is just, uh, it's basically, ch- he doesn't say China, he says Chinese, which seems like a racial kind of slur. <laughs> okay. Like, he's trying to be provocative. Um, and then they keep, intentionally uh pronouncing noodles as neuters which is uh really highbrow but the big thing was that he uses a racial slur against asian people that begins with a ch um he's mm-hmm. like let's just let or like he says it just kind of off the cuff and he's like let all of the uh racial slurs live there and it's like, okay, that seems like it's not really something. Like, the the content of that does not feel like it's set out of a place of humor. <laughs> and then, like, and then he's talking about how, like, they, they, like, they keep making the neuters thing and then the neuters joke over and over again. Um, and then, like, he mentions how, like, he was there with, like, his wife or his girlfriend or something. And then, like, she's, like, she said it and then he had to tell her to be quiet and stuff. It's like... Okay, it's just, that's not funny. It's just, you're being, like, gleefully racist and everything and hmm. disrespectful. Um, so that hit the internet <laughs> and, uh, he issued a statement. I don't want to say apology. Okay. But he issued a statement that, <laughs> um, was just basically a screenshot of his notes app that had, like, a long thing that says, like, um, it's the, it's the, oh God, it's so, I just, I really dislike him for this, but he's like, um, uh, okay. Yeah, that's what he said. So I'm just going to read his fucking statement. Uh, this is after a clip of him, uh, being racist for quote unquote comedic effect, uh, that the jokes just were not funny in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He said, I am a comedian who pushes boundaries. I sometimes miss. <laughs> If you go through my 10 years of comedy, most of it bad, 
you're going to find a lot of bad misses. I'm happy to apologize to anyone who's actually offended by anything I've said. My intention is never to hurt anyone, but I'm trying to be the best comedian I can be, and sometimes that requires risks. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's it's a weird, like, non-apology kind of thing, or, yeah. like, he's he's kind of, like, standing by it, which, I mean, okay, if you're an artist and you're under flack for something, like, I can understand, like, standing by it, but if it's just abjectly terrible content like i'm not like uh, i just feel like that's it's a weird hill to to die on yeah that's weird yeah so the backlash all happened uh snl like took the weekend and then they um they announced like the monday after that they were like yeah he's not gonna be on the cast oh my god um didn't they like basically admit that they sort of hired him to appeal to a more conservative (laughs) audience yeah they did and like that's that's what's the most like satisfying to me is that he he was he was selected as like kind of um as a response to kind of the idea that snl is left-leaning and and uh, he was selected to kind of appeal to a more conservative viewer base mm-hmm. um, with their refined comedic sensibilities. And um, <laughs> so cheap shot. But um, so um, in addition to that, it was reported that he had not only been selected for that reason, but obviously they didn't vet him clearly. Yeah. Um, but also, um, <laughs> he did not go through the ordinary audition process. Like hmm. with SNL, I, I I'm probably going to get the details wrong, but like there's an audition process. Like you have to come with prepared character characters. You have to perform. You have to perform for Lauren. Um, and then like the, the it's a process. Um, and they basically expedite. Like they cut that out. Like he had like an audition and like he basically brought his stand up material and that's that's basically it. And then they're like, you're hired. Huh. Um, weird. And with that context, I love his follow-up statement because it is so funny to me. (laughs) Um, okay. So his follow-up statement after he was fired from a job that he just got, uh, he says, it feels ridiculous for comedians to be making serious public statements, but here we are. I'm a comedian who is funny enough to get SNL. That can't be taken away. Of course, I wanted an opportunity to prove myself at SNL, but I understand it would be too much of a distraction. I respect the decision they made. I'm honestly grateful for the opportunity. I am. <laughs> I was always a mad TV guy anyway. <laughs> uh, which feels kind of, I don't know. Uh, backpedaling. Yeah, or- backpedaling and like... um just kind of unnecessarily like we, I don't know weirdly not passive aggressive well I guess a little passive aggressive but the best part about that to me is that, like I had retweeted something that uh it just it tickles me so much um that he because he's like uh I'm a comedian who was funny enough to get SNL that can't be taken away like those two sentences First of all, it was taken away yeah. immediately. <laughs> and second of all, you weren't funny enough to get SNL because you did not go, th- go through the proper auditioning process. Like, they right. admitted that their vetting system was flawed and everything. <laughs> um, but I think at the end of the day, what is most disheartening about this, as uh, aside from the uh, racism and everything and all that, is that uh, it's... It's disheartening to know that 
even SNL won't like listen to a a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um like we have an uphill battle for <laughs> uh for getting listeners for our podcast All like right. and we're not even yeah. So yeah. anyway, have you um have you lis- listened to or, or I guess not listened to have you watched um Dave Chappelle's latest stand up. Uh, I haven't. I'm not a big Dave Chappelle fan, oh, really? honestly. Okay. I saw one clip of it because uh, he his whole Jesse Smollett thing. Yeah, Jesse Smollett. That was hysterical. That was pretty good. That was so funny. Yeah, it's um, it, it was good. It was. I mean, it's the like one of the boldest stand up mm. acts I've ever seen. Um, but it was he talked about like Kevin Hart. Oh, okay. And his uh, oh yeah, his thing with the Oscars and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and um kind of stood by him and like you know kevin hart i think made an important statement regarding what happened to him he said you know when i made those statements i apologized for him Mm -hmm. and like he said he's not going to apologize for it anymore because Mm -hmm. it was like i'm I'm kind of paraphrasing but basically he said something along the lines of i can't keep apologizing for something over and over again because i've already apologized for it yeah and like i'm not going to spend my whole career apologizing for this one thing like Mm -hmm. i thought that was a really important point you know in this day and age where cancel culture and all that stuff um but it sort of made me think of that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas he, you know, he, he doesn't fall into that category. Right. Uh, but it just, it just made me think of that, you know, cause that's, that's part of the whole cancel thing. Yeah. People being canceled. But it sounds like that guy probably should have been. Yeah. 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 He, uh, and it was funny because there was a lot of people tweeting about how like, okay, countdown to when Shane Gillis gets his own Netflix special, <laughs> probably called triggered. God. Um, and, someone's like there was there was a there was a tweet um where someone was like if you if you take any random uh random like uh um wow what's the word i'm looking for like photo bucket or like um uh fill in wow what is um stock photos uh if you take any if you like search for stock photos of like smug white man um (laughs) and add triggered a Netflix comedy special. It looks exactly like the cover of a Netflix comedy special. Oh my God. And there were examples and it was, it was hysterical. Like it's, <laughs> it's so funny. Wow. I'll try to dig that up and, and post it in the show notes and everything, but it was, nice. I, it was, it was really good. I, I liked that. Nice. Um, yeah. Dave Chappelle's stand up special. It's called, uh, I think it's from like, early 2000s, maybe. Mm. It's called Killing Them Softly. Okay. That is like one of my, top five favorite stand-ups really it's interesting it's it's amazing wow absolutely amazing nice yeah so yeah i'm not like a particularly huge fan of his but yeah i that's like one of my favorite i highly recommend that nice yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. um yeah i I think that's it for news Yeah. yeah 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 we should get to our review of ad astra totes yes uh i think there was actually news but eh, screw it <laughs> so yeah so we're going to be reviewing ad astra it's the latest film from james gray and uh written by james gray and ethan gross of course we're going to do a non-spoiler section and then a spoiler section for it so um if you want to hear our non-spoiler for, uh, thoughts uh, continue listening and if you want to uh, avoid spoilers check the show notes for timestamps timestamps can also be found at obsessiveviewer.com slash ov296 so yeah uh, i'm gonna go ahead and read a plot summary courtesy of imdb ad astra is 
Astronaut Roy McBride undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed exped- expedition that now, 30 years later, threatens the universe. Uh, this movie came out uh, September something um we don't usually say the release date so i don't know why i did that um <laughs> came out september 20th and it is currently playing in theaters so tiny yes sir. uh you and i saw this together we did in the imax mm-hmm. and uh what were your expectations going in uh i had a little bit of he- hesitation or um i don't know i was a little hesitant I guess, yeah, that's the same word. <laughs> I was a little hesitant because of Brad Pitt in the role, oh, yeah. um, which I said that in our, our uh, uh, Patreon video. Patreon video. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I like Brad Pitt fine. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's fine, but I like him when he's playing Brad Pitt. Sure. If that makes like sense. M- the, like movie star Brad Pitt. Right, like movie star Brad mm-hmm. Pitt. When he's in those kind of roles, I'm, I'm fine with him. Um, like when he's in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, but this seemed like a really meaty role and just very cerebral and internal. And mm-hmm. I just wasn't. He would he would just be super like, and he wouldn't even be on a list of actors that I would pick to play that role. Yeah, normally that at least before I had seen it, that's what I was thinking. Right. And so I that that was my biggest qualm about the movie. Everything else, I was super excited. I thought the nice. visuals looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like a. Um, a, a very a very deep layered science mm-hmm. fiction film, which is what I'm all about. Totally, when it comes to sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, so it, it hit it hit all those notes. Uh, as far as my anticipation, it it was it was off the charts, with the exception of my sort of lack of enthusiasm for Brad Pitt in the role. Sure. So, and I didn't even really know anything about like I was like oh, I don't even know who directs who's directing it or yeah. who wrote it or is it based on a book? Like I didn't even I didn't have any right. of that information. Just it was strictly just on the 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 trailers. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I definitely want to try to go see that in the theater. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it, for me, it was a movie that I wasn't too aware of i would say like i had seen the trailer a couple times and obviously like i mean if i didn't have a list my ticket would be paid for just the fact that it's a sci-fi space movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that gets my ass in the seat and um i had heard some tweets and buzz coming out of um some film festival maybe venice actually um on the internet, people were raving about it, saying that it was incredible. So I was like, okay, well, that's going to be definitely shooting up on my radar. And I saw the trailer, obviously, a few more times. I was like, okay, yeah, we'll check it out. So going into it, I was I was pretty excited and uh, looking forward to it. I figured that it would be a good movie for us to see in IMAX and was not disappointed in that. That was a very good decision. Yes. Um, but before we go any further, I do... And this is probably not right to bring it up on the podcast, <laughs> but there is something that I need to put you on the spot for. Okay. You smuggled in Reese's Pieces. I did. Yes. Um, I did. Smuggled. Yes. So, kind of call back to our Patreon thing. Do you have anything to confess, my son? <laughs> <laughs> A modern day Han Solo, basically. Yeah. Oh well, sure. Smuggle candy. Yeah. You have a my, 
Do you also have a shitty spinoff movie? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Did you guys say a shitty spinoff podcast? No, no. Oh, God, I would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have anthology. Hey. Oh, hey. burn. That's, that's <laughs> fine. It hasn't had an episode in a few months. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, God. I did. Because, um, you know, yeah. the, the bag of Reese's Pieces I got was $2. Mm-hmm. And it was three times bigger than the $8 bag I would have gotten from the movie theater. That's, so. that's true. I actually think I might... Well, I'm going to go see The Shining on Thursday. But I might try to squeeze in like hustlers tomorrow yeah i want to see that yeah do you want to go tomorrow uh i don't think i can do you want to go tomorrow i I can't do you want to go tomorrow (laughs) i cannot Uh, okay no but um but i think i want to do like an after work screening of that like i usually do specifically because at my work they have like 24 hour like kind of uh convenience area so i can buy like snacks and stuff mm, uh yeah. in the afternoon like i always go and get like a red cream soda just in the afternoon as a little pick-me-up mm-hmm. and uh like i was thinking like oh yeah pretty sizable bag of like reese's pieces and mm-hmm. m&ms and stuff and i was like i i i, I can live a little dangerously <laughs> um and it's like a dollar fifty so yeah i'm an outlaw yeah so oh, yeah. uh it's gonna rub off on me but i'll still get a drink there so yeah um yeah so anyway, um, Ad Astra. <laughs> um, so Tiny, uh, broad thoughts. What did you think of Ad Astra? I ended up really enjoying it. I think there were some story and plot parts issues that I had with it, mm-hmm. but there, th- those are so overwhelmed by all of the great things about the movie that they're they're very much in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think. What I've been struggling with since I thought saw it is 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 it is it going to make my top ten for the year? Mm. And I think it's going to be there's a, it has a good chance of making it, but if it doesn't, I think it's it'll definitely be an honorable mention. I I think nice. Um, just man, I, th- there's so many things I that are just amazing about it, but mm-hmm. a few of the issues like kind of really bothered me about it in in the moment. Um, okay, but one of the good things is that i i really enjoyed brad pitt in the in the role nice. i didn't think i was going to but he um the character really called for um a lot of the word that immediately came to my mind was stoic mm-hmm. and like stoicism is yeah. what the, the character really called for and uh that's how brad pitt seemed in the trailers and i was like man did he really just like phone this in or whatever oh, like I, yeah. I wasn't sure but it that that characteristic played perfectly into the 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 mannerisms and the you know the uh the development of the character mm-hmm. required that and it 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 was it was the perfect the perfect way to play that character i think it i think it really played out played out perfectly throughout the movie and i think the way that it the way that it culminated in the end i was really happy with nice so yeah as far as the character development so mm-hmm. that was that qualm was completely taken care of um there were there were moments of absolute awe during the film yeah which i honestly there was those feelings i hadn't had since i watched a movie like interstellar mm-hmm. or gravity or uh 2001 a mm-hmm. space odyssey um i i still think I don't think anyone's ever going to top 2001. Like right. I, I genuinely don't think that's possible, especially visually. Um, I think there, you know, maybe somebody will come up with a space movie that 
as far as, you know, like plot or something like that that could maybe rival or best 2001. But visually, yeah. I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah. Um, but there, this movie, as far as great visual sci-fi, will be more than just in the conversation. Yeah. It's going oh, yeah. to be, I think, a tentpole, mm-hmm. a tentpole, beautiful, gorgeous space sci-fi movie. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's Those are the notions I had during the movie. And that's, I think that's the the most impressive part of the movie and what I want to celebrate the most about it. Yeah. And I'm going to be agreeing with a lot okay. <laughs> of that. Um, what I'll say is that it's, it's funny and this is completely knee jerk. So it's, it's knee jerk and I, maybe I'll see that tomorrow. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a knee jerk reaction and it's something that I need to consider more. But like the whole time I was watching it, like like you said, like you had thoughts like, okay, well this is gonna be in the top ten or it's it's like you're you're thinking about that. I'm like there were moments in this movie where I'm like Am I watching my favorite movie of twenty nineteen? <laughs> like Wow. Is this uh is this happening right now? Nice. Um because I was just really blown away by so much of this movie. Like wow. visually absolutely stunning yeah like um i agree that 2001 is kind of the prime example of space science fiction film Mm -hmm. yeah and with good cause because kubrick was a freaking genius and the visuals of that movie are just awe-inspiring like Mm -hmm. i thing i said on a recent episode and in person and anytime anyone uh, talks to me about it um i saw 2001 in the theater three times last year when it was coming back for its mm-hmm. for its anniversary because awesome. yes because it was so because it's it's a movie that like i i don't know when the next time i'll ever have a chance to see it in the theater right um and a list allows me three tickets a week so <laughs> um i definitely got my fill but um just like that's a stunning movie and this movie ad astra clearly pays homage to it and there were some elements of the movie that i felt a little distracted by the level of homage um that okay. it paid to 2001 like two two spots in particular it's not really a spoiler they go to someone goes to the moon mm-hmm. um it's a it's one of the big parts of the movie and like there is there are two scenes there's one where uh the passengers of the of the uh the ship that's heading to the moon are in their you know passenger area and a uh flight attendant or space attendant whatever you want to call her uh comes up and hands him a towel or asks him if he needs a towel something like that uh just kind of demonstrating the commercial aspect of it like not like there's a scene when um, oh God, in 2001, when the care, I can't remember the character's name, the scientist at the beginning who kind of, uh, mm. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um, one of my favorite movies ever, but anyway, <laughs> um, he, like he is on, like he's on a ship going to the moon and there's a montage of him in the, in the kind of flight deck or the passenger area and someone comes up and hands him like, I think it's a food plate or something, a food tray that has like all the different like futuristic food on it mm-hmm. and stuff. But like it is distractingly 
similar in Ad Astra. Like the setup, like the design of the of the room that they're in, the the, the passenger quarters. Like it, it, like it's kind of a circular kind of thing with seats facing each wall in a circle, and then she comes up from behind them and offers. Like it's, it's like visually, it is extremely evocative of two thousand one. Like yeah, to the point that it's almost, it's almost too much in my opinion. But that's a very minor uh, quibble. And then uh, it's funny because uh, then when they land on the moon, when they they dock with the moon station, and everything, the moon base. Um, it's like, it looks just like 2001. Like it is, it is exactly like that, but faster. Um, which like, I remember at one point in our lives, you were mentioning that like, like it's like 2001 is like so meandering. And like, I always remember that every time I see it, when I see the, the docking scene of the moon, I'm like, yeah, okay. Speed it up. (laughs) Land the plane. Yes. Land the ship. Exactly. (laughs) This isn't a fucking flight simulator, Stanley. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Let's get to the fucking monolith. Right. But, um, (laughs) but visually beautiful and everything. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it looks just like that in that Astro though. Mm. Um, so it's not just like it, it's a little different, but it's, it, very similar. So little things like that made me think like, okay, that's, that's, that's a little, it's for a movie that is so visually striking and so visually unique for a space movie as Ad Astra is, I felt like that was taking a little too much from an iconic film. Yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, they did it in the, I, I assume they did it in the name of, uh, homage, but it just felt, a little like cribbing. Okay. But, um, yeah, but as far as the plot and the performance and everything, Brad Pitt, I agree. He, like, he embodied that stoicism that that character needed. And one of the things that I was a little weary of, oh, sorry, uh, a little weary of when, um, when, when the movie started was the voiceover. Yeah. Um, Because he's kind of narrating it. He's kind of, um, it's it's a voiceover narration. Like he's literally mm. like saying his feelings to us. Yeah. Um. And I was a little reticent about that. But as the movie went on, first of all, there's it's really hard when it's just him for yeah. so much of the movie. Right. For them to articulate like what's going on visually. Mm-hmm. Um. And also, it kind of felt like like I came to terms with it because it kind of felt a little bit more thematic to me like yeah the voiceover kind of felt a little bit at times like a like a soliloquy or something from like a play and like yeah. i kind of i kind of uh um kind of rationalized it that way so yeah. i didn't have a problem with it. i thought it was a unique storytelling device that i think worked pretty well for it okay that that was one of the issues that kind of got to me. Oh, really? Um, it grew on me by the end a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the voiceover. Yeah. Um, I in general, I think voiceovers are a bad idea, mm-hmm. and there are very few that I actually enjoy. Yeah. I think if you're going to use it, it, it's it's a hard balance to strike because I feel like if you're going to use it, you need to use it as sparingly as possible. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there has to be a theme for it. Like, right. it's, 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 it's horrible when you get to the end of a movie and they just drop in a voiceover for no reason. Yeah. It's just like, well, how do we wrap this up? Let's just do right. a voiceover. And it's, that's terrible. But mm-hmm. like, one of the best voiceovers I've ever seen is Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Oh, yeah. Shane I Black seen the movie, movie. In so long. Yeah. There's like, they use it like three times and it's like mm-hmm. the first, second, and third act. Nice. Or maybe four times, but it's, it's very, it's just like the perfect amount. And I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of humor in it. 
that's like my example of a perfect voiceover. Right. Um, so, but it kind of it kind of got to me in Ad Astra, especially initially. Mm. Um, like it I was fe- overused a lot. It was, and and there were there were points where it 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 got in the way of the visuals because like they had to convey yeah. this information through the voiceover, and we're just kind of watching him stand there. Yeah. And it wasn't even like a close up of his face that mm. was like a reflection of what he was telling us in the voiceover. Mm. It was just general visuals and i was like ah this is not good this is bothering me kind of just tight and yeah and and also i think they had a golden opportunity it was such a great idea in the movie where he had to take these like automated uh oh yeah um, psych psych evaluations psych evals and and, like there there's a bunch of them and those Mm -hmm. were awesome i thought that was such a good idea really good dialogue and just there weren't too again. There wasn't there wasn't an overabundance of right. it, and it wasn't sparingly either. It was the perfect amount, and I was like, that was like the perfect opportunity for them to convey a lot of those themes from the voiceover mm-hmm. into an organic situation. Oh, I totally agree. In the movie, I think they could have used those to so much better mm-hmm. effect. Um, but I will say, I really enjoyed those uh, psych evaluation moments because. Mm-hmm we knew what was really going on in his head because of the voiceovers yeah. and we saw how he was trying to mask it in the psych mm-hmm. evaluations. That was really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a writer. I can't, I can't write a script and I can't mm-hmm. develop character. That's, I'm not going to tell them how to do their job, but I feel like there was sort of a missed opportunity there or maybe a better way to blend those, those themes into mm-hmm. that concept. I don't know, I, but I feel like there was sort of a missed opportunity somewhere in there. I can't quite put my finger on it, um, but yeah, the, the voiceover was like the first act. I was just like, "Oh man, I hope this is not the whole movie." It was yeah. kind of bothering me, but then I was like, "Oh my god, the moon!" Yeah, uh, right. So it was easy to get over. Yeah, I'll put it that way. But that was one of my minor minor squab- squabbles. By the end, it was a minor a minor uh, squabble, but. While sitting on the couch, I thought Tiny raised some good points about oh the God. voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, but I do agree. That's a good point about the psyche valves versus the voiceover and how they kind of uh, worked together or against each other in a unique way to kind of show his mental state. I thought that was that, that's a good point. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering how I'll feel about it when I see it again, because I really do think I might see it tomorrow after work. Nice. Um, but yeah, it didn't bother me that much. I think that there was a just so much going on and such like sensory overload that like I forgave the voiceover. Um, okay. In light of just kind of a compelling plot, um, interesting characterization for him, and just the magnificent visual effects. Yeah. Um. So. Um, there are a lot of set people. We'll have to talk about those in spoilers because yeah, we can't yeah. really talk about those. But one thing I want to mention is that, so the movie starts with, um, a very like IMAX worthy <laughs> set piece, like in, like it's in the trailer, but just the full effect of it is just unbelievable, like so visceral yes. and, and amazing. Um, but after that, so um the kind of the plot revolves around the what's called the surge where there's like blackouts across the planet and it's coming from uh a signal kind of in the far reaches of the solar system so when Brad Pitt is brought in 
to uh, kind of be assigned a, a secret mission to go basically stop the surge. Um, he's brought into kind of a very cold conference room set. And I don't know if you got this impression or, and I don't think I'm reading too much into it because it's kind of there, but I really appreciated just the dialogue and the performances in that scene with the higher ups of, uh, it's not NASA, but it's like U.S. Space Spacecom. Command. Spacecom, yeah. yeah. Um, is that a real organization? I, I, I have no idea. I don't think it is. I don't I think, think so. Yeah. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so the higher-ups are telling him about his mission and stuff and telling him about, like, giving him information. And just it could just be an exposition dump. But what I really admired about the way that that scene is set up and done is that all of the characters, aside from Brad Pitt, are so monotone and sterile. Like, that's the word that I kept thinking about. It's like, the scene of them talking about this top-secret mission is so sterile. Mm -hmm. And it felt so... Again, I'm going to use this term again, this term again, very evocative of 2001. Mm -hmm. We see these intense, incredible visuals in 2001 of what is essentially... A scientist just doing a routine trip from, uh, from Earth to, uh, the moon. Like he is on a commercial, just passenger spaceship heading to the moon. And it's so just sterile and very just, you know, commonplace. In here in Ad Astra, we have these characters that are saying like, like talking about things that could, uh, that theoretically and literally have, uh, like the fate of the human race at hand and they're talking about it in such a bureaucratic, just sterile way. Yeah. And I thought that that was just so smart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it felt so good. Cause it just, it made me think of Kubrick and 2001. Um, that was one of my favorite things was the, the character characterization of space command. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was a, paramilitary organization mm -hmm. i mean it was it's no like, like nasa is no longer just a adventure exploration right. branch of the government it's it's been militarized yeah space force space force yeah <laughs> um but it's the way it was done it wasn't like this hokey thing like um I don't know. I don't even know what to compare it to, but like some some ridiculous military organization. It wasn't like Battlestar Galactica, right? You know what I'm saying? It was it was more like it, sort of it was it was almost like a new like the early early beginnings of like the CIA or the FBI, yeah. where it's all like kind of cloak and dagger, and it's mm -hmm. like most people have the idea that this is a very shady organization, mm -hmm. but there's no like blatant evidence that you can point to. Um, and everything's just very, um, it's, it, the way you described it, it's, it's very sterile mm. because it's been militarized. Right. Like this isn't, for example, like with Interstellar, mm. there's a lot of hope and it's very inspirational. Mm. These, these missions that they're going on in Interstellar, whereas this is just like, this is your mis mission, accomplish it. Right. You know? And it's, it's funny cause like they ask him like, would you be willing to do this? But it's like. They're basically ordering. Him. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's just it was such a. I think he even says that. Like, doesn't he say like something like, "Do I as if I had a choice. choice?" Yeah, yeah, right. It's 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 just, it's just a funny. Um, that was a fun dynamic to explore. Mm -hmm. Having, I think that was a really clever and and just a smart uh, part of the script was the the characterization of that 
organization as just a, like a an early kind of an early government mm-hmm. program that's it's it's there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that yeah. people pick up on but they can't quite put their finger mm-hmm. on it and it says so much about the world in yes. like that organization by by it conveys so much by showing so little and exactly it's there just it's so the tone is just it's a perfect tone absolutely um and the way that, that all plays out is it just it was really well done yeah oh i agree yeah um and it oh god it's uh man it's good and so like there are like it's not and like not so i don't want to keep comparing it to 2001 and this is where i'll kind of break away from that um it is not like the entire to say to talk about like it being sterile and everything and cold that's not indicative of the entire movie because there are just i mean there are thrilling like set pieces that surprisingly like feel organic like if you sat down and mapped out the trajectory of this movie uh beat by beat like it would feel on paper and maybe it'll feel like this on repeat viewings and maybe i was just absorbed by it on that first viewing but like the beats that it goes through seem so random a little bit like what happens to them on the moon what happens to them on the ship? Right. Uh, like, it's just like, what, like, what am I watching? But it's, uh, but it, it comes across like, I don't know, something about it just, it worked for me. It clicked together. It did. Um, it, it does a good job of conveying just the dangers of space travel in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, again, it does such a wonderful job of showing us what the world, what the society of humanity is like now mm-hmm. um, in this future. And it does it by just so subtly, like in like when, like when, when, when he's on the moon, hi pizza. Um, when mm-hmm. he's on the moon and he's walking down like a hallway or something. I don't know if you saw this, but there was like a, um, a sign or like a screen that had like, I, wow, I, maybe on the moon or Mars. I don't, I don't know, but I think it, if it was the moon, it said something like, uh, Luna's next top model or something or next, like, oh like gosh. a reality show, like, I, didn't on the see moon. That, no. I was like, whoa, that is, and it's just a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. And it just says so much. And wow. there's so much like advertising around it. And like that again, not to bring up 2001 again, but like that felt like 2001, like his branding. Right. Um, totally. Just so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? The, um, one of the coolest, I think you, you sort of touched on it there was mm-hmm. how, how tenuous everything is. Mm-hmm. Like there's, um, like it's, it's so impressive cause it's like, you know, it's to the point where, uh, things have developed to the point where space space has been commercialized to mm. to like an almost comical level yeah where there's an applebee's on the moon and shit right. like that um the moon is basically like disneyland much. yeah um but it's still so tenuous it, it's demonstrated in other scenes in the movie that you know it, it has the feeling that like we've conquered space but it's you know it's kind of the 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 timeless conflict between man and nature that like we never really win that battle we never really conquer nature we're always subject to it in some way and i think that was you know that's one of the classic themes of Mm -hmm. storytelling Mm -hmm. and they so subtly 
wove that into the story, um, which we will expand on in spoilers. But yeah. you know, there's the stuff goes wrong. Stuff goes mm-hmm. wrong in space. Yeah. And it's, oh yeah. It happens in real life, and it happens in the movie, mm-hmm. and and they don't shy away from that. And yes. It, it has you know space movies tend to be sometimes they can be very glossy and like mm-hmm. you know there's usually there's usually trouble you know something right. bad happens or whatever but um there's a lot of like sterile white mm-hmm. um very shiny and pretty uh stuff in space movies and this movie is that to the nth degree mm-hmm. but then all this horrible shit happens yes and i just i thought that was really fun like they weren't trying to be they weren't trying to be beautiful for beautiful's sake. Right. They were being beautiful because that's how space really is. Right. But it's retarded dangerous. Yes. It's so dangerous and scary mm-hmm. and it can kill you in a heartbeat. Yeah. And it's just, that was such a cool, a cool dynamic that they mm-hmm. kept subtly weaving into the movie that I was like, I think I, I almost didn't pick up on it at first or like I, I picked up on it at different parts of the movie and mm-hmm. there, there's, there's a scene in particular that like really brings it to the forefront Yeah, uh, that we'll say for spoilers, but the, there's just the, the pacing, the pacing and the interconnectivity of the different themes in the movie was like brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. R- really, really well done. In an interesting connection to another space movie, this is a stupid joke. I'm sorry for wasting you guys' time listening oh, to this, boy. but, um, much like the first time that I saw The Martian um, years ago, I had to pee so bad <laughs> the entire time. Really? I d- it was bad. <laughs> but like the trouble was that like we were in the IMAX theater, which is on the other end of the building yes. from the restroom. And I'm like, right. I don't want to miss... Uh, like, I, like, I don't want to close my eyes. I don't, certainly don't want to fall asleep. Um, and... <laughs> I don't want to miss you, baby, because I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, God damn it. So sorry. Uh, but no. Uh, so yeah. But yeah. I like it. It like it held my attention and my bladder. <laughs> um, but to go back to what you were talking about, what we were talking about about the commercialization of space and everything, and how, like you said, that we've it gives the impression that we conquered space and i i agree completely and what i love about that is that on the surface it gives us the impression like there's a moon base there's a mars base they end up going to like the mission is to go to neptune right um it gives this idea that we've conquered space travel we've conquered space but like you said we haven't exactly because it is so chaotic and and dangerous Mm -hmm. but also the fact that it's so commercialized, commercial, uh, commercialized, and so branded, and everything—it's like it's it's kind of a bleak view of the future. Because, and like, not to like this isn't a unique thing to this movie. Like, movies have done this. Science fiction has done this, but showing the branding and everything and and all that is like we're not conquering space; we're expanding our reach and not growing as a species into like spacefaring a spacefaring species. And I think that that's an interesting kind of subtle thing that I'm maybe reading a little too much into. It's like, we're not exploring space. We're infecting it. Yes. Oh fuck that. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Um, another thing about the kind of overall plot, cause we're, um, kind of days around spoilers close to, Yeah, but, um, 
I do want to mention just kind of shout out to one of my favorite novel series that I haven't caught up or watched the show, but the idea of it that we're as far as like humanity is spacefaring, but within our solar system definitely reminded me a lot of the expanse series, right? Which highly recommend just super fun book series. And mm-hmm. I'm sure the show was great. So, uh, yeah. Anything else we should touch on in spoilers? What did you think of the overall plot and the kind of, uh, all that give, um, give our listeners a little taste of the spoiler discussion. <laughs> um, wait, so we're not in spoilers yet, right? No, we're not. Okay. Um, so the the plot I feel like w- was a little a little bit murky or mm-hmm. um just a little I don't know if it was some of the motivations were just kind of hard to pick up on but I don't know it's it's hard to dance around it without going into spoilers yeah. but uh but yeah I there was something that was just off a little bit to me mm-hmm. I, I I haven't been able to put my finger on it um but it it just felt like there was something missing, I guess, from the, I don't know if it was really the plot or the characters or, or what it was, but um, yeah, I'm kind of dancing around it. I'm not sure how to get to it. Sure. Um, it may just have to wait for spoilers. Okay. But yeah. Um, yeah, the plot, I, I do agree, kind of got a little murky there a little bit, as you said. Um, and... As much of a unique movie as it was, homages to 2001 notwithstanding, um, it did feel like kind of the the logline of the movie, the kind of overall plot condensed down, uh, felt a little derivative of just other science fiction. And that's because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've watched a lot of science fiction, and it just seems like kind of an archetype of that type of movie. But I forgive it for that, because I feel like there is a a very human story being told through Brad Pitt's character and his relationship with other people in the movie that I think is worthy of consideration. If you, if you're bothered by the plot of the movie, I'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, should we go into spoilers for ad Astra? Yes, please. All right. Well, we're going to go into spoilers for ad Astra. Of course, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer here, um, to give you time to navigate spoilers or navigate timestamps and all that, or to shut us the hell down. (laughs) Um, so enjoy this clip from the trailer. When we come back, we're going to spoil ad Astra. If you want to skip the spoilers, check out the show notes for timestamps and check the show notes at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV two nine six. Major. We have some highly classified information. What can you tell us about the Lima project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there. Spoilers on for Ad Astra. Are we ready? Yes. Okay. So spoilers on for Ad Astra. Uh, we are about to spoil Ad Astra. So 
Um, we didn't talk about the specifics of the mission, but I also want to talk about the specific set pieces also. There are a few distinct set pieces I want to talk about. So sure. wh- where do you want to start? Well, I think with the first one makes sense with the uh, the space antenna, if you will. Yes. Um, which is really cool. I think I've heard of that concept before mm-hmm. of a space antenna. Um, like it's it's a sort of semi-feasible thing that could actually be built someday mm-hmm. as it's almost like an elevator. Yeah, I've um, heard about that. I've heard that concept. God, yeah. this makes me want to read more science fiction. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, just that that opening scene just to sort of set the tone was just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so Oh, just just I mean, what a way to what a way to bring us into a movie. Right. <laughs> like, my god. Just so intense, visually like incredible. Like yeah. it had the feel of like a of like a Christopher McQuarrie Mission Impossible kind of set piece. Like I'm thinking of the Halo jump and Mission Impossible Fallout. Absolutely. Um definitely had that kind of visual feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um and just the just suddenness of it and brutalness of it. Mm-hmm. Um just so so thrilling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, like there's a, a running theme or mm-hmm. point that I will make throughout most of the big set pieces that, is mm-hmm. that like I I really couldn't tell what was CGI and what wasn't right. Like it's it's and that's just not saying like oh the CGI was really good. Like mm-hmm. it was so good that like I, I genuinely obviously they didn't fly to space to film right. this movie but it fucking looks like it, they did yeah it, oh yeah it really does and like i it looks like someone actually built a space antenna mm-hmm. or a, you know an elevator um and they went to that elevator antenna and filmed this movie that's what it looks like and i think i yeah. think the most impressive was actually the moon for me mm-hmm. because it, it looked like they went to the moon. It, and it really did. That. I mean, oh, it, yeah. was, it was just unbelievably detailed. Yeah. The moon, uh, is, uh, is a harsh mistress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a book title. I haven't oh, is read it? it though. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, Robert Heinlein Heinlein. Oh, okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, it was stunning. Like absolutely, and <laughs> this is where, <laughs> uh, like, there are a couple of scenes where a couple of the set pieces, um, <laughs> where I'm just, I'm. This is like why I said that if you were to just write down beat for beat what happens in this movie, it would be kind of bonkers. It's like okay, go to the moon, moon pirates, uh, <laughs> go to Mars. Climb in, uh, climb up the like the part of the ship <laughs> to hitch a ride. Yeah. Um, space monkey tears a face off and stuff. Right. Like just insane stuff. Yes. Um, but it just felt like it just connected for me in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel about the space pirates, the moon pirates, and the and the kind of uh uh. <laughs> I can't make a. I can't think of a pun in there. Um, the kind of Fast and Furious, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, microgravity. I don't know. Yeah, that was. Um, it was super cool. One of my favorite things about it was the fact that the the rovers mm-hmm. looked like vintage rovers. <laughs> yes, like they prob- oh. probably would have come up with something new by now that right. looks a little bit well. 
I think that 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 is something that permeates through the rest of the movie because like the the displays and stuff on the on the on the flight decks and everything just like it has that kind of old style like space shuttle look of of panels of just like buttons that it's not like this crisp and clear it's not all touch screen and right and like minority report stuff yeah um it's it's like very um it feels dated but it feels futuristic at the same time right like Which, i i liked the road i thought it was cool mm-hmm. like it was kind of a nice homage or uh it's almost like well we're gonna keep them this way because that's how they were mm. originally i ain't I broke don't, don't fix it right <laughs> um but yeah I th- i thought that was kind of fun but it just a little it didn't bother me or anything, but I, right. it, it was. I just kind of noticed it, but uh, seemed kind of. Uh, I don't know if I'd say maybe anachronistic. Yeah, something like that. Sure, something like that. But but yeah, that was super super thrilling and mm. exciting. It was like it, it was kind of like they threw in a, an action movie scene. Yeah, almost oh, yeah. kind of kind of out of nowhere. But uh, mm. but yeah, the climax of that where they you know go spinning off into space. That or was so cool into the crater. That was super cool. So cool. Yeah. Um. Man. I just God, I I love this movie. I yeah. really did. My God, and it was funny that like the, um, just fun conspiracy stuff that Space mm. Command has like a secret moon base on the dark side. Yeah, I was just like, that was cool. Of course they do. Yep. Um, because there's so many conspiracy theories about the dark side of the right. moon. You know that they actually had one. Mm. Um, yeah, that was just fun. Jeez, and I I just loved that whole everything that happened on the moon was so cool. Um, I agree. The commercialization I, of it. It's mm-hmm. yeah. I <laughs> stupid. I just pictured like some dude like in his yard, like looking up at the moon, uh, having like thinking like there's some like secret base or something on the dark side of the moon, just yelling at the moon saying like, turn around you bitch. <laughs> um, so I don't know. But anyway, mm. um, the moon doesn't rotate at all, does it? No, no. no? Like, okay. there's one side is perpetually dark. Oh, wow. as far as I know. Mm. Just like my soul. Yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> uh, hashtag bad boy podcasting. Um. So <laughs> shit just got real. It did. So anyway, uh, yeah, the dark side of the moon. Uh, like I conceptually was great. Execution was great. Um, as much as it did feel kind of like a action movie kind of thing i didn't mind it because i I think that it was it was thrilling and really uh well visualized absolutely um yeah and how'd you think of uh, how'd you think of um (laughs) what'd you think of um donald sutherland yeah he was a great a great addition to the cast like Mm -hmm. a great a great choice for that role i liked him a lot um he had that very wise sage-like kind of uh kind of thing down perfectly Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah like it was just it was really interesting that that was like the last thing he did like i feel like he Mm -hmm. he sort of knew the whole time that he was on the verge of death Mm -hmm. um it he did is, have, like you said, sage-like thing and like kind of a fatherly presence to right. Brad. And there was a, a sense of urgency. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a sense of urgency the whole time mm-hmm. that, that he. I feel like he was conveying, um, like he wasn't asking a lot of questions. Right. It was mostly just telling him things and like, okay, let's move along. You need to get mm-hmm. on the ship and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that was just a really cool, just really, really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, great acting by Donald Sutherland. He was yeah. he was really good. Mm-hmm. Um and good like kind of plot advancement when he gives him the the info exactly yeah, yeah that was really cool 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then they, um, I think one of the more thematic and integral scenes was, was when he was on the journey from the moon to Mars. Mm-hmm. And that's when they come across the, the ship, the derelict ship. The derelict ship. Yeah. Um, they really weren't monkeying around. They were not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> that, that is the proper response. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, you know, an example that I was, uh, uh, it was, it's the best example of the, the sort of theme I was poking at before we got mm-hmm. spoilers of the whole man versus nature thing and how, mm-hmm. how tenuous space travel is even, yeah. even this far in the future when it's so commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we feel, we feel so comfortable. They convey this idea that we feel we're, we're so comfortable and complacent mm-hmm. when it comes to space travel, sort of like the way we are with air travel now, or right. you know, car tra- automobile travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of forget that driving a car and flying in a plane is still really dangerous. He, he, I sometimes I think about that when I'm yeah. flying a plane. Right. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> when I'm in the car, I'm like, this is like, I don't know. It, it's just it's it's kind of. It's humbling in a way. Right. Um, no, but it, it does feel like, like there's so much, I don't know. There's, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're in space and you're doing experiments mm-hmm. on monkeys and yeah. somebody hits the wrong button and you mm-hmm. get your face eaten off. Yep. Yeah. And because, you know, if you're in a zoo on earth, it's much easier to mitigate that situation. Right. But, you know, space comes with all, all kinds of, uh, troubles and, mm-hmm. and issues. Isolation. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so I feel like that was a really important scene and it, it set a, it, sh- it shined a light on a very important theme mm-hmm. of, of space travel that I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it was very, it wasn't like su- subtle, like, they, right. like, you know, Brad Pitt's character in a voiceover was like basically saying all the stuff that we just said, Yeah, you know, space he, travel is still really dangerous. It, and, exactly. Yeah. And like he even says like, guess he wasn't monkeying around. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, um. He doesn't really say that, guys. Anyway, um, uh, but yeah, it's in like the reveal of that was so just jarring in the best way. Like it, it was like it was thrilling, and like when when you see because you just see the captain's like body floating in in the suit, and he's like he's wiggling, like it's like he's convulsing, right? And like I, like in that moment, I was like, "What the fuck?" Like for a split second, I was like, "Oh, there's some like contaminant or something and everything." Yeah. And then like there's a fucking like enraged like ape or whatever just chewing at it. Like I'm like, "Oh my god!" This, yeah. What is this movie? Yep. Um, I had no idea what to think in that moment yeah. before we oh, saw yeah. the the baboon or the ape yeah. or whatever it was. I was like, "Oh fuck!" There's a monkey in space. Oh yeah. shit. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, obviously made me think of like 28 days later a little mm, bit yeah and uh even a little bit of 2001 um <laughs> right yeah it was uh just really really unique and yeah there's a lot of or a few kind of like shots of of something that i th- found was interesting maybe it's indicative of space command being kind of a uh, sterile or, or like their people being expendable kind of thing that like when characters die, like they just ship them out of the airlock. Right. Um, right. kind of a, the space version of a Viking funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I'm sure that I think they do the same thing in like Star Trek and stuff. Right. But it's just, it makes it feel like their people are expendable. And yeah. just, it's just like, it's so almost unceremonious. Like, there's a lot of collateral damage. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And like, you can kind of, like I mentioned that it's like in Star Trek when they do that, but it's like, Star Trek is like a deep voyage kind of thing where they just like they're they're existed like they're living on this on this spaceship and it's like here it's it's like it's just so cold and sterile again like yeah. just oh well you know he's he or she is just being shipped out uh he's he's gone it's like it's such a such a unique kind of subtle world building a little bit or expanding right. a little bit for for the state of the world. Mhm. Yeah, and then um I think another I mean it was all super interesting but uh I liked the depiction of Mars mm-hmm. cuz I feel like so many sci-fi movies where they've gone to Mars it's been um pretty much just like kind of romanticized yeah like the martian um you know there was mm-hmm. this cool moon uh mars base yeah and stuff like that or uh even, tons of disco music yeah, um, yeah. even like a mission to mars which is mm-hmm. sort of a ridiculous movie yeah. um total recall total recall yeah. right give the people air <laughs> yeah uh, get your ass to mars yes. um but no this was the the depiction of mars was it was kind of like a prison, really. Mm-hmm. It's all underground, and you, know, yes. you had to check in, and it was. It, they had like their own kind of culture there. They were mm-hmm. kind of like like miners, almost kind of like yeah. like a mining community is what it felt like because it's all underground and yeah. stuff. And again, um, totally evoked uh, the expanse. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, like it. I, I just I liked how there was like distinct culture on those two different. Mm-hmm. On, on like the moon and Mars had the kind of like their own culture. Yes, and especially with like the the director of Mars operations, played by Ruth Nega, who I, mm-hmm. I'm not really familiar with, but uh, yeah. um, she she kind of had this chip on her shoulder. It sort of seemed like, yeah, and had this 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 strange um, relationship to or attitude towards uh, um. McBride, mm-hmm. which we found out that you know his his dad killed her parents, right, um, right? So that was the reason for that. But there still felt like there was this like distinct Mars kind of culture, mm-hmm. and I thought that was just really cool how how they established that so quickly. Totally, because he's not there for very long. He's not on the moon for very long. No, you get these such these such clear cut ideas of what mm-hmm. it's like there and how the culture might be and how you know it, it was interesting how. Ruth Nega's character was like, she talked about how she was born there and mm-hmm. she's only been to Earth once and yeah. stuff like that. It's just, it's just wild to contemplate that mm-hmm. the depth of space exploration being that mm-hmm. expansive. And I kind of felt a little, I don't know if I'd say disappointed, but like the, she's the one that helps him get off Mars. Right. right? Yeah. Right. It, that felt a little, to me in the moment, it felt a little bit like just, plot convenient little deus ex machina there but i i kind of rationalize that by thinking that it's interesting if you look at the movie and look at roy's interactions with people like he is such an isolated alone person and and it's just an interesting kind of thing because like he doesn't have like this woman is like helping him get to his mission and everything like they don't it's not like a 
fulfilling kind of interaction or, or um, relationship between the two or anything. It's just like, it's kind of just a, another kind of sterile, straightforward kind of thing. Like, okay, well, I'm going to get you, get you to the, the launch pad and everything. And you gotta, you gotta get on the ship. And he's like, all right, let's go. All right. Um, it's just, it, I'll be able to articulate it more next time I watch it, but um, <laughs> it just, it felt just kind of indicative of his character. And I kind of appreciated that characterization and how that is, kind of mirrored or uh, reflected same thing uh, <laughs> by uh his father's isolation on Neptune insanity right um totally yeah uh, also just really intense and ballsy scene of him climbing up the ship to to get off Mars <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i was sitting i was watching i was like like ha- like ha- what the like there's no way like there's no yeah. way well i think i think it's it was similar to like the martian because mm-hmm. mars has like you know a tenth of the atmosphere yeah so there's not the same amount of drag and all that stuff oh that's a good point and the gravity's different and stuff like that so i think that's how they kind of rationalize it that's fair so um, um yeah but so one of the, i think the biggest like technical thing that really bothered me mm-hmm. about the movie and i don't know if this is stupid or not but so the passage, the passage of time and the amount of time that the travel takes mm-hmm. was a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. Okay. So from the Earth to the Moon was like a matter of hours, I think. Mm-hmm. That journey was like, it wasn't even a day. Right. Which with current <clears throat> technology, like, you know, in real life, that's about three day trip. Yeah. And then from the Moon to Mars was like nine days or something like something that. Something like that. So yeah. like not more than two weeks. Right. Which now that would be like, you know a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next leg of the journey is Mars to Neptune. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, it's like 80 days. Yeah. Like, like 79 days. Right. And so my issue with that is like that whole journey is, was that, th- you know, three to four months. Mm-hmm. And that's it. How, how is it that they had, you know, it's, it's revealed at the end that, or uh, when he's on Mars, that Spacecom knew that his father was still alive this whole time mm-hmm. and that he had basically gone off the deep end. How is it that they have, in the couple decades, not just sent somebody out to Neptune to go take a look at what he did? That doesn't, because it's, yeah. it's, it's not like it's a 10 year journey to get out there. That's, like, I can understand that, like, you know, you can't really do that. Like, that, that mission was like a, if that mission had been a, um, you know, like pulling all our resources, kind of like a, a sunshine, like a sunshine type yeah. deal. Like I understand that, but no, this is like it took him four months to get there, and it wasn't even hard. Like it was, right. just, this is a, it was pretty standard, a standard journey, and yeah. that that's what really bothered me. Like I don't understand why Spacecom wouldn't have sent multiple missions out there to collect all his data and and that's take him out because he's going crazy, right. something like that. You know, and that's true. I. That really bothered me. <laughs> it's it's hard to say. I I'll be on the lookout for it next time I see it because I'm kind of curious about that myself. But there's also a point to be made about how like Neptune is like literally it's the farthest any human being's been. Yeah, maybe there's something there. But yeah, I I uh, I definitely I definitely agree. I think that that's a valid point, and I don't have a retort to it. I think there's a case to be made that. He- um, McBride, the older McBride, I can't think of his first yeah. name. <clears throat> Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee. Jones. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones was kind of like a dirty secret. Mm-hmm. And they were like, 
we're just going to leave that out there and just let's just forget that ever happened. Yeah. We're going to come up with a story and that's going to be the story. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the search starts happening and they have to revisit it. Right. So I can, I think you can make that case, but still, how is it that no one has ever gone out there to see yeah. what, like that just doesn't make a any recon s- mission. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like go see what they found before he went crazy and killed everybody or mm-hmm. I don't know. Or somebody go out there and take, take this asshole out so he's not right. doing something crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that that bothered me a lot about the movie. Yeah, I can understand that. I think that's my biggest issue, actually, with, okay. the, with, with the movie. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I... You know, it didn't bother me. I didn't... Okay. I didn't even... It didn't even raise an eyebrow. Um, okay. Okay. So, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I mean, good discussion. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just used to so many... Uh, in, in these space movies, a journey like that is like... Mm-hmm. Epic, like yes. Interstellar, you know, mm-hmm. all those, the, the missions for the different mm-hmm. spoilers for Interstellar, right. all the missions were like, you know, they were going to send them out and they were going to die there because of right. how long it takes to get there. And mm-hmm. like, it's, you know, the time dilation of it. Like, right. Even when they, I really need to watch Interstellar again. I want like to watch Like when they again, yeah. land on one planet, like the amount of time that's on the ship. Right. Is, God damn, that's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but this wasn't that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll have more to say when I see it again, which okay. I really think I'm going to see it tomorrow. Cool. Um, what do you think of Tommy Lee and uh, B Rad? B Rad interacting for the first time. Mm-hmm. That was a really potent scene. Mm-hmm. That actually, I I was very happy with that. Also, the cat like those two playing father and son is just really inspired yeah. casting. Good idea, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think. I think that, um, obviously, I think they compiled or condensed an entire lifetime of, uh, um, thought and, and dwelling Mm. and, uh, daddy issues, daddy issues, (laughs) um, for for Brad Pitt's character, for Roy McBride. Mm -hmm. I think they compiled that all together remarkably well throughout yeah. up up to that point and the, the them finally seeing each other after 30 years or whatever mm-hmm. is is the the climax the culmination of that yeah and that's really hard to live up to and and really hard to make that worthwhile um but i think they did a really great job i i agree there's so much there in that moment for it, it, variety of reasons and it could have been over the top mm-hmm. so easily or or completely unsatisfying yeah it would it would have been very easy to fall into one of those two categories but i think they hit a great middle ground um and i think i think my favorite part of it is just the fact just how Brad Pitt reacts mm-hmm. in that moment one of my favorite parts about it is that He's not like, oh my god, dad, I miss you so much. Yeah. So much. I love you, and daddy. Like, but he he never takes his eyes off him. Oh yeah, and he like it's, he blinks like twice. Mm-hmm. He just cannot stop staring at his dad. Looks like a real Heaven's Gate later. Yeah, um, <laughs> nice. Was that a Patreon Callback. thing? Yeah, I, probably. I don't yeah, remember. it was Patreon. Yeah. scary stuff. Um, Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but that was such. Again, like a perfectly subtle reaction, yeah, and performance. I think that was the the best part of his performance was in mm-hmm. that moment, that scene where he's just he's in awe, but he's not he's not like 
for lack of a better term, like fangirling out or yeah. like going crazy. It's highly emotional and volatile at the same time. Exactly. Just exactly. really, really well done. Right. Um, also the lead up to that, him walking down like that corridor and yeah. like seeing the dead bodies and mm-hmm. seeing like the, the classic black and white, like musical movie that's playing on the screens, mm-hmm. like calling back to when he said something about his dad watching old movies or something like that. Right. Um, just like really like the ambiance of that was just really, uh, intense and, 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 uh, nervous. Absolutely. For me. And when they do interact the first time, the, you know, it very quickly gets to, you know, why'd you stay out here and, and do all this? Mm -hmm. And, and, and Tommy Lee Jones, like the the delivery and what he says, the writing of it and his delivery were just so, I mean, just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. When he says, you know, I I mean, I never I never cared about you or your mom or anything. Yes. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That's like, like that's one of the not most my home. It's like here's my home. I've right. Been here for thirty years, like just that was, and that's like the absolute <sighs> last thing that Brad that Roy McBride wanted to hear right and like that's just completely earth shattering yes heartbreaking and again his reaction to that mm-hmm. I was just like that, that that was just perfect oh totally just, like kind of a, a tiny little tear falls out of the corner of his eye mm. I was just like God, holy that was shit awesome. that was just I was so I just thought that was all like kind of perfect yeah there's a there's kind of a strange time jump uh, it seems like I feel like there's maybe there's like a missing scene or something like they have that conversation. And then like he tells, like he tells him like, well, we're getting off of here and we're going back. It's, you know, that's, you know, that's what we're doing, dad. Um, and then cut to like them suiting up. And, uh, I, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is like freshly shaved or trimmed down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's, I felt like maybe there was another scene that should have been there that was like convincing them further. But one thing that I really, liked about that and kind of the uh the thing that i latched on to most about uh the character of roy uh mcbride mm-hmm. yes um uh roy mcbride is when he tells when like when his dad says that he uh failed and because he couldn't find that extraterrestrial life or intelligent life or anything mm-hmm. that moment where uh i can't remember if brad pitt tells tells it to him directly or if it's in a voiceover but he's like he you didn't fail like you found like these beautiful worlds and everything and, like we were still humans are still here or something something like that mm-hmm. it kind of veered off into a little bit of corniness just a little bit yeah but like that sentiment that like this is this is brad pitt's arc through the movies like he is this loner isolated person one of the i didn't pick up on i, I didn't retain all of what he said in the beginning of the movie, but like one of the things that I latched onto is that he says that he's he disappoints everyone and he's he's like he's just very down on himself and he's very isolated and alone. And then at the end of the movie, he's like this, like it's him realizing that humanity is like still a thing. I guess I, I maybe I'm not articulating that well, but mm-hmm. um, there is like an emotional through line for his character. I think. Yeah, and I think there was a a very important sort of. I guess like a, a scientific trope or, mm. or sentiment conveyed in that moment because, you know, it's, it's sort of an idea of science that you don't No experiments are failures. Mm-hmm. You just, you, you, you always learn something from data. Right. You know what I'm saying? So he collected all this information over 30 years and it's mm-hmm. like, you didn't fail. It's like, uh, that the kind of the cliched 
stupid mm. saying now that Thomas Edison didn't fail a thousand times yeah. before he invented the light bulb. He found a thousand ways to not make a light bulb or whatever. Yes, you know that's it's a it's a stupid yeah. cliched saying, but it's an important idea that mm-hmm. when you pr- conduct an experiment, you don't and it doesn't pan out. You didn't fail. You just found a way that it didn't work. Right. Like you learned something. You still learned something. Yeah. And it's that. It, it's a it's a little cheesy, like you yeah. said. Oh yeah. But it's important in mm-hmm. science. That Edison line is it? Was did they use that in National Treasure? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I, I was so, trying to yeah. think. Of, I was trying to connect it to a movie, but I know <laughs> that's like a common thing. But yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, the nuclear bomb and all that stuff. <laughs> I was just thinking of Nicolas Cage playing Roy McBride. Oh yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> My dad is on Neptune. <laughs> dad, get in the ship or you'll be pissing blood. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's God damn it. Okay, I needed them to remake this movie. Completely different movie. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Neptune dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck, that's great. Port of Call, Moonbase, Applebee's. Nice, nice. I don't know. That's stupid. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, they need to make that. That's great. Um, so, yeah. So, okay, I do have a question about their little spacewalk thing. Mm-hmm. Did did his father detach himself manually, or was there a, a, a mix-up or something? I don't know. I, I was okay. a little, a I was little iffy, on that. A little iffy on what happened there. But Okay. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out what they were trying to do, and I think it's revealed, like, they were using the spinning thing as momentum to right. shoot off up yeah. to the thing. Yeah. Um, there was a moment where he, and maybe this was intentional. Wow, this would be kind of cool. Where, like, he's down by the, the thing that they're about to blow up, the station and everything and he looks up and he sees the light it was that the light from his ship yeah from cephas okay yes yeah um did you think that that was going to be like a like oh an alien ship that came to save him or something no okay because i thought for a moment like that was going to be like a big thing there and maybe like i said maybe that's intentional or maybe maybe i'm just putting something in there that's not there but like the way that it was revealed or shown like i kind of feel like maybe that was kind of intended to make you and Roy think that that was for a brief second. And that's kind of to indicate that like he has a future, like humanity has a future because of him. And mm. like, I, I don't know. Um, no, maybe it's that, a reach. No, I didn't think of that at all. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did think, I thought that it would be, I kind of half, half thought that this is what was going to happen, but when he got back on the ship and he used the momentum from the blast to propel himself to, to get back to Earth, I really thought that there was going to be some, like, Twilight zone twist at the end that, uh, like, there would be weird coordinates or something and that he would actually, like, he would, like, go to sleep or something and then wake up and, like, be, like, in, like, another solar system and be on one of those alien planets oh, wow. instead of Earth. And, like, he would actually meet, like, intelligent beings. Oh. But that's not the movie they were, t- they were showing. The, no. That wasn't the story they were telling. Yeah. But I thought for a second, like, are we going to go, like, full, like, trippy kind of Planet of the Apes kind of thing here? <laughs> yeah. Um, or when he gets all the way back, it would be, like, really, like, timed, like, time dilated so it would be the future right um 
So, also, um, since we're kind of almost to the end of this review, uh, what do you think of Liv Tyler? <laughs> yeah, that was another issue I had. Yeah, um, is that uh, I, I would I would assume that they it would just be better to not have her in the movie. Yeah, completely thankless role. Yeah, um, they really I think they kind of dropped the ball there. They really did, and like there that that was another opportunity to like develop his character more mm-hmm. and to um, verbalize a lot of his inner monologue right that was told in voiceover i think that was an oppor- a missed opportunity again yeah um e- even just in in quick flashbacks they could have they could have materialized a lot of that mm-hmm. that uh that voiceover work um so i feel like that was a missed opportunity yeah and i think she's pretty good i, I me too i usually like Liv tyler yeah. so um I, th- I thought she was a good choice for the role it's just there was no mm-hmm. role there really yeah oh i agree yeah um it kind of i don't know maybe there's a different version of the movie that has like an expanded role for her. Maybe there's like a director's cut or something that yeah would better satisfy that. I would that love to see a director's line. cut of this. Oh, me too. It was like 45 minutes longer or yes. something. I would watch the shit like out of that. Like a kingdom of heaven type of director's yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because yeah. the characters are really good. At least yeah. Roy McBride is a oh, yeah. really good character. Fleshed totally. out really well. That's, I mean nailed that part mm-hmm. so i wanted to mention this also and we can kind of wrap up here in a second mm-hmm. um the beginning the first thing we see is just uh typed stuff on screen mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of giving background and stuff did that make you think of blade runner uh nothing makes you think of blade runner i'm not really a huge fan of that oh, movie yeah um i think i've seen the, that movie like twice in my life okay and i both times i was just like <laughs> man i really don't get what the big deal is about this Interesting. movie um well it reminded me of blade runner okay also uh not to put you on the spot but you still have my do you, yeah you still have my blu-ray i do uh, yeah i loaned it to you oh but it's fine it's also on i have it on my video account too okay so okay yeah. Yeah. I didn't know I still had that. Yeah. I think you have a video game too, but it's not a big deal. Okay. Anything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're just racking up the over, over due fees. <laughs> the late charges. <laughs> the late charges. <laughs> it's like five cents every day. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, uh, it's not, it's not a big deal. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, it just reminded me of that. Um, let's close down this review. Okay. The overall thoughts kind of, uh, kind of to wind down and everything. Uh, how'd you feel about Ad Astra? Um, again, really great. Like, I, th- I think there's a few points they missed that would have made it just unbelievable, mm-hmm. um, unbelievably good. Yeah. Um, but still, just I mean, everybody, everybody should see it. I, th- I was blown away by so much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I gave it four out of five stars on nice. uh, on uh, Letterbox, mm-hmm. and I think I gave like an eight point five on IMDb. Nice. Um, yeah, really, really great. A lot of my preconceived notions going in were expectations were uh exceeded in a lot of ways nice um so that that was a good thing um i think i i'm i'm kind of anxious to watch it again mm-hmm. rewatch it um especially not in a theater which is a weird thing oh to say. interesting but i i kind of want to see it in a more mm-hmm. less epic setting right to see how that all translates all that epicness translates mm-hmm. on a smaller screen if you will um, that's page- a really so, oh, so sorry. No, you're good. Um, I, I was just going to say that's a really interesting way to avoid me inviting you to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's an interesting. That's that's something that you kind of have to take into account nowadays because so many mm-hmm. of us experience movies at home now. Yo, totally. You know, it's, that's just the way it is now. With- and that was a. 
big yeah. part of gravity too is like people were saying like well is it going to hold up on uh right. viewings right which spoiler alert for me it does nice so but yeah so i'm sorry uh, before i rudely interrupted you what was the rest of what you were saying oh uh like page page wants to see it okay she nice. like she likes space movies so mm-hmm. she wants to see it and i it's i think it's going to be interesting watching it with her at home mm-hmm. like that'll be that'll be a cool experience nice that i'm looking forward to so yeah i i, I don't think my opinion of it i think my opinion of it will only improve mm-hmm. just that's just uh, i don't think that's wishful thinking I, that's just how i feel about it like I think, science it's science <laughs> um but yeah i, th- I think i'll I, th- I think seeing it again might make it even better for me mm-hmm. um i'd like to see it again before the end of the year because i th- i'm i'm kind of like almost nervous about how i'm going to incorporate yeah. it into the end of the year is it going to be an honorable mention is it going to be on the list I, how high would it be on the list i i just don't know so it's it's fun to think about, but yeah, really really great movie. I think I think it is going to be like a tentpole mm-hmm. space movie that that people will, you know, it, it's like I said, I don't think anyone's ever going to top two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is this is definitely in the conversation. Nice, yeah. Um, I think I already know how you're going to respond to this, <laughs> um, but I think the closest comparison we can make to ad astra like contemporary comparison is interstellar yeah how do you think it compares to interstellar do you have you rewatched interstellar does it hold up for you i haven't seen interstellar in a while that's another thing i've been thinking about um because i know i liked interstellar a lot more than you did yeah um i i th- i think they're they're pretty even i think i think ad astra takes takes the visual cake mm-hmm. in that comparison not to say that Interstellar looked bad or anything, right? Um, but th- th- I mean, they're actually really different movies. Mm-hmm. The only thing they share is that there's a space mission, right? You know, that's they're they're actually not that comparable. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the characterization in Ad Astra is out of this world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Um, whereas I think Interstellar left a little bit t- lacking in that department in some areas. Did uh, it? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I, I mean, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, right now, I would say I like Interstellar a little bit better. Okay. But nice. um, I, I need to see both again mm. to really hone in that, that comparison. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've been saying for years I need to rewatch Interstellar, and I just find myself not doing that. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Ad Astra was a better experience for me, and I'm curious mm-hmm. how it's going to... Hold up. I did, while you were talking, I did get a ticket for tomorrow at 4.30. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I might cancel it before. I'll see how I feel tomorrow uh, after work. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, I'm excited to see it again. Cool. And smuggle in my own uh, bag of M&Ms. <laughs> um, overall thoughts for me, I loved it. Visually incredible. Very engaging uh, personal storytelling. Um, the characterization of Roy McBride really kind of resonated for me like it just felt like an authentic kind of demon or an an effective story device of him being just this kind of lost person um and kind of reconnect not reconnecting but confronting his demons as a like an abandonment abandonment issues of his father i guess mm-hmm. kind of similar to interstellar actually <laughs> yeah. yeah um this would be an interesting double feature it would be totally god that's totally cool um yeah yeah but anyway uh yeah so i i enjoyed it and it could be it could be i would say right now very confidently put it in the top three 
nice uh, for 2019. Nice. Uh, that's pending Oscar movies and stuff. So right, and right. Heartland and all that. So yeah. Um. Yeah. So that'll do it for our review of Ad Astra. Do you want to do a quick? Potpourri. Uh, super quick, yeah. Okay, super quick. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're going to do potpourri real quick, lightning round. Um, potpourri, for those who don't know or uh, <laughs> have only listened to the last like several months, uh, potpourri is ordinarily a section of the podcast where we talk about uh, stuff we're watching, stuff we've watched, stuff that we've uh, consumed, anything we want, as long as it smells good. Tiny, what uh, have you watched lately? Uh, I just watched, because it's available on... Amazon Prime. Mm. Uh, I just watched Beautiful Boy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is it, that the one with Steve Carell and... Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet, yes. Yeah, um, it's based on a... Whoa. It's based on a set of books uh, mm-hmm. between a father and son. Uh, the son is addicted to drugs, addicted to meth, and uh, they they each wrote a book about the experience, mm-hmm. and they were both like uh, best-selling books and stuff like that. So it's it's about those those books, the true story. That is, <clears throat> when I get to mind, you'll see why I'm kind of gobsmacked. But go okay. ahead. It's a very unique uh, unique situation, mm-hmm. uh, a very unique way to tell that story. Um, but uh, I I was I, for it, the the movie was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I really loved it. I, I wish I had seen it in 2018. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it would have been a top ten of mine for that for that year. It was so well done. Um, the standout for me was Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, I hadn't really seen him in anything. He you know, he was in, he's in Lady Bird really briefly, mm-hmm. and I maybe seen him in something else, but I hadn't seen him lead in anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still haven't watched Call Me by Your Name yet. Yeah, and I. You weren't into that. I really wasn't into yeah. that. Also, he played the son in Interstellar. <laughs> I think the son. Did he really? Yeah, the young, the son. younger version. Okay. Yeah. Wow, I didn't realize that. But um, I had never seen him like leading in anything, and he mm-hmm. was just super incredible. Yeah. I I was blown away by Timothy Chalamet. Um, and it was it was a a funny juxtaposition because we've been watching The Office. Oh yeah. And so yeah. I'm just thinking of Steve Carell as Michael Scott. So to see him. <laughs> in that role was a bit it kind of threw me at first but i quickly quickly got out of that that mm-hmm. idea um there's just some super intense and just really meaty mm-hmm. dialogue scenes between him and timothy chalamet that are just like how like how do you have that conversation really incredible it reminded me a little bit of the like the impossible conversations in um uh, God, what was that movie called? Something by the sea with uh oh 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 uh God, what was that called? Oh, it was like one of my with, favorite movies. Yeah, of the with year. Casey Affleck and yeah, uh, was it City by the Sea or no? What was that no. damn movie called? Casey Affleck by the Sea. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh wow! And uh, Michelle uh, Williams, Williams, and uh, Coach Tyler. Manchester by the Sea. Manchester by the yeah, Sea. Yeah, Kenneth Logger. Yes. Um, so it, it had it reminded me reminded me of some of those themes and totally. some of those just impossible conversations to have. Mm-hmm. Um, just super. And I mean, it, it's it's heartbreaking. It's it's dark. Oh, yeah. It's hard to watch, but it's it's also like a really beautiful, incredible story. So mm-hmm. uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I gave it like four and a half stars on on. Uh, Letterboxd. Letterboxd and yeah. like nine on, on IMDb. Just really awesome. Yeah, I, I'm just perusing my review on Letterboxd. I, I gave it four stars when I saw it back in January. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Okay, uh, just I'll read an excerpt from this real quick. I love the music choices as well. There are some great needle drops throughout the movie, but it's the score that is particularly moving to me. There's a sequence where David is searching for Nick and speaking to someone about the realities of addiction and rehabilitation. The score in this stretch of the film is unique within the scope of the rest of the movie and carries with it such a sense of foreboding and pain that it really moved me in a way I wasn't anticipating. Uh, so yeah, I wish I could remember it more clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, beautiful movie. Yeah. Um, really raw. And, uh, I, I, I was, I was really, uh, uh, into it. Nice. Yeah. Um, shall I go? Yes. Shall I go? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So this, so this is, man, this is, I don't want, I don't know how much we want to say it. Uh, okay. I asked you before we recorded, do you know who Harris Whittles is slash was? No, no. Okay, no. so Harris Whittles, uh, and this is my potpourri section, by the way. Um, there are many like it, but this one is mine. Um, so <laughs> Harris Whittles was a writer on Parks and Rec. He started in season two, wrote on it for throughout the rest of the series run. He was promoted within. He became a co-executive producer. He also appeared in the show as one of the animal control guys. Uh, he was a very successful uh, stand-up comic. He was on Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, several times. He had a very famous, uh, very uh, funny uh, segment on there where uh, he basically just read just really uh, funny anti-comedy kind of jokes. Not not anti-comedy jokes, but like jokes that he hadn't punched up yet. So it was just like they called it Harris's Phone Corner. And he basically just read. It's basically like Twitter drafts that he has in his notes, <laughs> and it's like, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid and ridiculous, but it's funny. So, uh, so like I talked about him. I think would have been back in twenty. Well, had been back in twenty fifteen because in February of twenty fifteen he died from a heroin overdose. Right. Okay. That's that's what I thought you were going leading towards. Yeah. I remember when that happened. Yeah. And uh, at the time, I I mean, I was I was sad by it because I was a fan of the guy, and he. Uh, I I remember I remember talking about this on the podcast because Mike kind of commented on it too that I had basically gone through and downloaded all his appearances on Comedy Bang Bang and some other podcasts and just like listened to all of them and like it's tragic it's sad because the dude was a comedic just he was brilliant like he was so brilliant so young he was thirty years old he was about like he was uh that the week that he died. Like he was, he was all set to move to New York. He was going to, uh, he was, he was working, uh, he was going to be helping develop and write, uh, Aziz Ansari show, Master of None. Mm. Like the, uh, Eric Wareheim character, um, like Aziz's best friend in Master of None, that was going to be Harris Whittles. Mm. And he, that was going to be like his potentially like breakout role that was going to bring him into like the acting realm and everything. Okay. So, the reason I bring that up is that his sister, Stephanie Whittles Watches, uh, she wrote a memoir called Everything is Horrible and Wonderful. Uh, let me actually double check that. Uh, Everything is Horrible and Wonderful, a tragic comedy memoir of genius, heroin, love, and lost. Um, on Audible, it's six hours and 52 minutes. Listened to the entire thing today. Wow. From beginning to end. Could not... Like, I was so absorbed by it. Like, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, I almost, I like, I got teary-eyed throughout several sections of it. It's, I mean, holy crap. Like, first of all, if you're a fan of 
Harris Whittles' comedy in any capacity or any of the things that he did. He was also a writer for Sarah Silverman, Silverman program. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if you were a Parks and Rec fan, like, you should check out this book because it is intensely moving and incredibly candid and raw. Like, the kind of structure of it is that Stephanie, who is his sister, his older sister, she goes back and forth between telling stories about before his death and after. So each kind of chapter alternates like, and it's kind of chronologically like, like it goes from far back in the past when they were kids leading up to his death and, you know, the aftermath of like the grief and the just a tragedy of it. And the complete kind of thing is this intense and, poignant and just heartbreaking window into this woman and her family's grief and how they dealt with it. And like, I, like I am, I am so profoundly, um, moved by Stephanie Whittle's watches, uh, candor, like, like it's all there. Like she tell, like she is so open about everything. And Mm. they talk about his struggle with addiction, how she felt at different parts of it and everything and how the family dealt with his relapses, his, uh, like when he was at the, the, the the height of his addiction and everything and the the different like struggles and everything there's a section where she helps him like detox and it's just it's heartbreaking it's so fucking heartbreaking wow and interspersed through that is just anecdotes about just his comedy his his life his like his relationship with her and her daughter, like in the year before he died, like she had, she had a baby. Um, and like his, his kind of relationship with his niece and how like just this whole, it's filled with like this regret and, uh, but also the celebration at the same time of this very unique and talented, uh, brilliant person who died way too young. And it's not like, it's not like a like a, an indictment of heroin or any or like it's not like it's not like a it it's a very it's a very human story like she like she makes no aspersions about like hating him at times because of what he does to the family and like how he like how his addiction affects the family and everything but it's also like she's she's aware without being like preachy about it or or anything that that it is something that is with out of his control and it's something that it's it's not as black and white as like okay well he he was a drug addict so let's just you know screw it who cares um because it's just this flippant kind of attitude there and there are anecdotes about like how um like just it was so heartbreaking because she is telling us about what it's like to uh to have to tell her parents that uh their son is dead and she tells she tells about telling her dad and at the time her mother was out with friends and so like there's this really just heartbreaking passage where she, uh, she says something to the effect of i sat there and waited with my dad while my mom enjoyed the last hours of blissful ignorance before everything in her world changed and then wow. the gut punch after that is that tmz broke the story and she found out before 
they could tell her. Oh, God. And, like, and there's other uh, things about that. And she makes no, like, <laughs> she's, like, like, she she doesn't name, like, there's another leak that happens that she was very adamant about being opposed to. Um, and she, like, says, like, a media outlet, like, released it and everything. And, um, and she's just, like, she's kind of talking about how bizarre it is that he's this person that meant so much to them as a family and everything. But he is this media, like, like media is, uh, like ran with it. And like people were mourning him for two weeks and then they moved on and stuff. And it's just, it's so, it's such an incredible book. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, Stephanie Whittles watches. She um, narrates it too, so there's that kind of added kind of wow. uh, kind of uh, emotion to it. But it's called "Everything Is Horrible and Wonderful: A Tragic Comic uh, Memoir of Genius, Heroine, Love, and Loss" by Stephanie Whittles watches, and uh, highly, highly recommend it. Um, nice. And there's a moment also. This will be the last thing because I know we gotta get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a moment where she <laughs> she's going through his phone and one of his big things is like on comedy bang bang he's did harris's phone corner or harris's phone corner where he reads those drafts and everything and so like there's a section where she reads the drafts and everything and like it's kind of like a posthumous like harris's phone corner kind of segment uh-huh. but like just the level like i'll say one joke like i laughed out loud and it's so it's i i don't know it, i i was cracking up and that's something that's brilliant about the book but uh one of his jokes and I, i'm not gonna do it just as he's like um <clears throat> did you hear about the fat guy who made the successful tv show he got an emmy nom 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 <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that is dumb it is so and that is uh, that is Harris's <laughs> phone corner. Like that is the level of it. Like oh, I'll put I'll put links in the show notes to YouTube videos that collects them. But it's oh, okay. like it's just brilliant. Like just little nuggets of just genius there. <laughs> that was funny. um yeah. But anyway, that's 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 that book. So check it out. And uh, yeah, also check out Comedy Bang Bang and Harris's appearances on that. Cool. Yeah, so um, I think that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Yep. Um, next week, we'll have something. Yeah. Uh, probably without Tiny, because he's <laughs> on call. I am. But we'll figure something out. So, yeah, having said all that, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Check out Tower Junkies and Anthology, which should have more episodes at some point. Um, yeah, and yeah, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Like, I remember, like, I again, I have not seen this movie in... Almost 30 years. Almost... Yeah, oh God. I don't like that at all. Um, yeah. Um, I had to catch up with the math and I did not like it. Um, in almost 30 years. Jesus Christ. Um, so, uh, but I vividly remember. So, like. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash ovarchive. 
You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. And follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny. And follow our recurring co hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at RA Feckus and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda, at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!